Hey, you. Welcome back. Cantori and you. We've got uh, Fip Buchanan in the chair. The chair being my, I'd call it my garage. This is more of a uh, granny flat, even though there's no running water or, or bathroom in here. It's just a room that's been converted. And it's on the side of my house. So I had Fip come by, stop by the, uh, the flat, if you will. And uh, it's right down the street from his shop, Avalon 2, where I've been getting tattoos for well over 20, 25 years. And uh, Fip, I'll tell you, a renowned tattoo artist here in San Diego, he's, uh, he started a movement. One of the first doing custom tattoos had a shop with uh, with Patty down in PB. He's been in a Normal Heights off of Adams now for over twenty years. But we were talking uh, off mic, and I'm forgetting the number, but it was something crazy like uh, twenty six thousand like people that FIP has tattooed in San Diego, like over twenty five thousand, something nuts over the last twenty five plus years. So. We have a great talk, talk about uh, Phipps' history as a tattoo artist, trends in the industry, and uh, where things are today. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. Do want to thank our sponsors, Tory Holistics, who have been with us since day one, Legal Licensed Cannabis Collective. Now, if you're not down with THC products or weed or the pot, hey, I get it, and I'm very sensitive to that. Uh, we talk a lot here about CBD products, and they certainly have a lot of those there. CBDs being the non-psychoactive part of the plant, helping people with seizures, insomnia, anxiety, depression. The list goes on. And uh, they certainly have all different forms of CBDs, from flowers to, to edibles to tinctures, the little sprays. I've learned so much about CBD products over the last several years because I found out that I had been self-medicating with them for years to help battle my own personal anxiety and PTSD issues. Because in the past, I was taking stuff like Paxil and I was taking these pills that had adverse reactions and effects and uh, got off the pills and then found other things, specifically CBDs, to help me during times of stress, especially when I was feeling overwhelmed. And, you know, I've gone through periods of my life, years of feeling that. And uh, there's certainly more to be learned, but as things go recreational, it's important that you keep in mind here, there are medicinal values and components to cannabis. And those are the things we really like talking about on this network. But if you are into the recreational thing and using it for those purposes, well, Tory Holistics is certainly your spot for CBD and THC products, and uh, not only in Sorrento Valley, but online with deliveries at ToryHolistics.com. DoSD, powering our events platform. We love everybody over there, and I know you get to a point, especially as our lives get busier, where it's hard to keep track of what's going on around town. I forgot Arcade Fire was tonight. But uh, yeah, check out our events platform powered by DoSD.com. We'll keep you in the know. Show's going on. I went to see The National last week. Speaking of weed, I was shocked how much the lead singer of The National, Matt, was vaping on stage. <laughs> so much so that you could tell he was getting stoned or, or drunk out of his mind 
which I guess is standard fare. I didn't realize that. It was my first time actually seeing the National. But I thought that, you know, they were on point, like Radiohead. And maybe musically that's the case. But as far as Matt, as a front man, he is so rough, which makes it incredibly compelling. But uh, he definitely, definitely tied one on the other night at the open air theater. And he was vaping so much that not only was he getting more yeah, incoherent as the night progressed, but he was actually coughing. He'd be in mid-song, be like, the lion sleeps tonight. <laughs> I turned to my wife. I'm like, wow, that's uh, I've never seen that before. But uh, that being said, it was still a great show. And, and I really do attribute that to the fact that Matt on stage is just, you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. It's kind of, kind of reminds me of seeing tape of Jim Morrison or something. Friggin' he's cool as hell, but I was shocked how much he was uh, vaping and partying on stage. It was just seeing an artist vape made me laugh as much as, I don't know if he pulled out a bog on stage. South Coast Surf Shops, also a sponsor. Thank you to the folks at South Coast, Larry, Heather, Steve, the whole crew for being so rad. Uh, to the U Network, not only carrying our merchandise, but also helping us with our platform. And we are forever indebted. Uh, please shop at South Coast. Check them out online, southcoast.com. If you buy something, enter U-Y-E-W exclamation mark at checkout and get yourself 15% off with the holidays right around the corner. Take advantage of it. And, and I've said it a million times, don't give your money to Amazon. Hook up South Coast, the local. Support your local surf shop, always. Just like your local tattoo shop. I don't think they have, thank God, uh, tattoo chains. Are they like a uh, Floyd's tattoo <laughs> shops? I don't think so. That's a good thing. Avalon is certainly an institution and had a couple of locations here in town. And our sit down with Fit. Let's do it. came to San Diego in the late 80s, right? 1987, in the fall of 87. And what initially brought you to town? Well, we came to work for um, Jack Rudy, who was really a well-known tattooist and one of the first guys that made black and gray kind of commercially viable. And I, I knew Jack from, I had met him in New York in 84, and his girlfriend at the time, Winona Martin, she and Jack had a place that uh, was uh, actually, it wasn't even open yet when we were talking to Winona about it, and we came out to open a shop with her in San Diego that we weren't partners or anything we worked for, her, but it was about 100 yards probably from Gate 1 when the Naval Training St Center was still open. Okay. And at that time, uh, Patty Kelly and I came out here. We had met in Pittsburgh at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, worked at J.C. Fly Tattoo on Long Island was the first shop we were in. Then we went to Richmond, Virginia for a couple of years and worked for somebody else. And then we came out here and uh, worked there for about a year and a half. And it was probably 85% military was our clientele, at least, really. That was about all there was there. Yeah. And, and, and what was the name of the shop again? It was San Diego Tattoo Land because Jack has a shop that's called Good Time Charlie's. 
tattoo land that's in Anaheim. Okay. Can you elaborate or tell me more about the uh, style of tattoo when you said the black and the shading and, yeah, and being that's a rev- what Jack was known for was the whole black and gray thing that was really originated in uh, prison. And, and uh, he and Good Time Charlie would see that on people and they were trying to emulate that. And then they met a guy named uh, Freddie Negretti who had been in the Youth Authority and stuff. I don't think he was old enough yet to be in jail. And they met Freddie and figured out that you ought to use a single needle to do that style. And Freddie came up with using... Uh, water with black ink where you'd take the black and dip it in water to give you different shades of gray which freddie told me he saw ed hardy doing that doing japanese work but anyway that that's how i knew jack we weren't really doing black and gray stuff but i mentioned that just because jack is one of the originators of that and that was what lord patty and i out here really that we were like oh we get to work for jack rudy and he was <laughs> you know miles above where i was tattoo wise that's for sure i had barely well i met him in the first shop i ever worked in and i had been tattooing out of my house and uh Altoona, Pennsylvania, and then when I went to art school in Pittsburgh, I met a guy named Red Schuster, and he had a friend named Duke Miller, and Red had a van all set up to tattoo out of that we tattooed at county fairs, and that was like my tattoo boot camp, you know, and I don't, we must have done 40 tattoos a night there, and in the daytime, there wasn't anything, but it was, so it was kind of cool, I got to sort of be a carny a little bit, sure. you know, and, <laughs> and do that. And it was a trip, that's for sure. And what was your introduction initially into the world of tattooing? Like, how, is that, how did that initially uh, enter your skin? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, it's funny because I didn't have, you know, people say, oh, my grandpa, my uncle, whoever, right. which was funny. Not too long ago, maybe in the last few years, I found out that a uncle of mine who I never knew, he died when he was 24 and he was my dad's older brother, but he was in the service and he had a saber on his arm is what my other uncle told me. And so that's kind of weird, which I guess is irrelevant to your question, but, but it was none, just yeah. kind of odd that I thought none that of my... That was the only point of... Yeah, another, none of my relatives reference. had them that I was aware of. And I remember as a little kid asking my mother about them. I don't know where I saw one or that. I don't recall, but I remember saying to my, asking my mother about tattoos and I forget my how I worded it or what but she her response was don't ever do that you'll get blood poisoning was my mother's response and what year was that i'm interested and i have a reason for asking that question when she told me that when she told you that do you remember man i must uh probably about 1963 oh that early okay i mean i was just a little kid i remember i was we had uh the kind of heating system i'm from pennsylvania and they're radiate that little short air vent radiators and i was laying on the floor i remember all that i was like laying on the floor in front of it in the winter asking my mother about and you had an that. interest then yeah That's amazing which is weird right uh, see i wasn't sure if you were talking about your 20s and this oh, was like no. or third you know no. this is like the 80s or something because yeah. i remember 
getting my first tattooed when we didn't know anything about AIDS. Oh, right. When we knew nothing about AIDS and freaking out about the needles at the tattoo shops. I remember that side of it being a customer. And I was wondering if that's what your mom... No. This this goes back to when you were a little one, man. And I think that was the... You know, the reputation it had and everything, and I didn't, yeah, I obviously that didn't stop anything, clearly. But yeah, and what, it held on to that stigma. You're talking yeah. the 60s through the 70s yeah, right. into the 80s. And, and, oh, honestly, sterilization wasn't anything that, I don't know if any of these old tattooists thought about that, and then I you mentioned the whole AIDS thing, and I remember when I was in my first shop, in New York there, and that was, we were only there 11 months from the fall of 84 to the fall of 85, and that's when the whole AIDS thing first hit. Right. And we weren't wearing gloves up to that point either. I know. I remember and, this time. And, yeah, and ironically, we started wearing them because Patty Kelly that I was working with had real long fingernails, and man, your nails would look like a mechanic's hand. You, you had black under there and you know of course it was ink and blood and everything and but patty started wearing them because she didn't want to get her nails dirty so we started wearing them because we didn't want to look bad and then it was kind of funny because the new york health department came in and they saw us doing it so they oh yeah i guess we ought to require make this a requirement do that and then another guy, I remember, he got mad about it because he's like, now I got to wear gloves. And it was kind of even that, you know, I remember seeing someone wear one glove even. And, you know, and it was one of those things kind of like way back then, too. Oh, if you wear a seatbelt, you're a sissy, you know, or, yeah. or whatever, you know. And so it was kind of like that with gloves. It was weird in hindsight. So leading back to your question we started with 15 <laughs> minutes ago, it was kind of funny because in from 76, because I, yeah, I was 19, I started playing in a local band. And then it was about a year later after that, though. So about uh, 77, when I was 20, I started getting interested in it. And I was playing in a band, and it was kind of funny because we, you know, it involves driving late at night and all that. And one of the guys in the band, he'd always buy Easy Riders magazine. And I, I'm like, you don't even have a motorcycle. Why are you buying this? <laughs> so I look at it, and it's like, oh, wow, they got skull rings. And, uh, and then they had a section called In the Wind, and it would show people with tattoos. And something about that is what sparked my interest. Really? And it's like, oh, well, aren't these, I don't, something about tattoos, it just seemed cool to me. And I have to admit, as, and I was playing music then primarily for a living and always, uh, and for a while I only did that. But my dad was the president of a lumber yard that the family had owned. And so I could always get a job there. That was about the only what, other. What part of town uh, is this now? Well, this is in Altoona, okay. Pennsylvania. So I'm talking a long time ago, you know, and that, yeah, that would have been about 77. But anyhow, seeing the Easy Riders and the In the Wind section sparked my interest in that. And then by chance, I saw a couple guys with healing tattoos that the scab was so heavy it looked like puff paint or something to me when I was working as a clerk at the lumberyard. And then I found a local guy that tattooed, and that's how I got my first one which he did it at my kitchen table. And then uh, from wow. from there, I wanted to learn how to do it. And he was uh, his name was Mike Luckett. I met him through a guy named Dave English. But uh, 
that I knew through the lumberyard, but it, and Mike was like a biker kind of guy. And then it was funny because I wanted to learn how to do it. And then he was going through this weird thing that, oh, I'm going to go to hell for tattooing. So he loaned me his stuff. And I guess if I'm going to hell, it isn't going to be from tattooing. <laughs> but, uh, and then by chance, it was funny because the guy that lived right down the street, Jeep Dively, um, he was kept trying to get tattooed by Mike, but Mike wouldn't do it because he was going to go to hell. So finally he told Jeep, this guy, Fip Buchanan, has my stuff, and if you want tattooed. And I knew Jeep from high school, and we were more acquaintances and friends, but that's how I started and have a good friendship with him. And I still, you know, this would have been, I was 22, so it would have been 79, and so I still, like, will send Jeep T-shirts and stuff. I feel forever indebted to the guy because he let me try. He was your first canvas. Yeah, and I told him, I don't know what I'm doing here, but, you know. And then and when I got better, I did do some better ones on him. And I wanted to fix everything, but by then he was over it. He was like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> and then recently he says, well, it's just raw. It just looks raw. I kind of So what was it. that first tattoo? I did. It was uh, Don Nolan was the artist that did the design for a company called Spalding and Rogers, which was the biggest tattoo supply company back then. And I had uh, got sheets of designs, and it was a skull with a rose okay. in its mouth. And then he also got other roses and stuff where uh, Jeep was not at all into the Grateful Dead, but people thought he might be because of the skull and roses thing. Sure. But yeah, that I definitely remember that and different things I put on. And then what separates you, even looking back then and even applying it to today, a good tattoo versus a bad tattoo? Like, obviously it's your first and it's not going to be your right. best. Yeah, no. But what, what falls, how does a tattoo fall into the bad category? Well... Than the uh, obvious misspelling of a word or <laughs> blurred that, line, all but, that garbage. I'm just saying, just yeah, from a professional right. viewpoint. Well, if the line work is bad, if the shading is bad, if the color is not solid, you know, the shading not smooth, uh, uh, you know, the line work looking, uh, what would you call it? inconsistent. Okay. And, and like that, when I did that first tattoo, I didn't realize I had the needle sticking out way too far, so it ended up, it would be like barely moving and gunk, it's just stopping the guy's skin. So it came out like a dotted line pretty much. And I called the guy, Mike, that loaned me his stuff, and he's like, well, I don't know what's <laughs> wrong. And then so I, I eventually figured it out while I was doing the tattoo, and then I called him again and the next day and I said, oh, well, I figured this out. And he's like, yeah, well, I knew that, but, you know, I can't tell you everything. And I'm thinking, you can't tell me anything, apparently. <laughs> it's like you loaned me this stuff, and he would call it the, oh, uh, what did he? Ah, now I forget it was, because I was going to say weapons of mass destruction, but <laughs> it was something like that. But it was kind of like, uh, yeah, he gave me the weapons of destruction. <laughs> You're so, just destroying yeah, people's bodies. But the the good news was I barely did any back then. So, you right. know, I, if I did one a month for three years, that was probably a lot. And wow. I, I mostly worked on Jeep, who for a while he would come up to the house, you know, and we would... Uh, yeah, he'd just hang out and we'd do it and, you know, try to figure out stuff by trial and error, pretty much. And he ended up slaved with a bunch of junk, but, uh, and some of it was pretty good by the end. And 
other not so good. Yeah, and yeah. like I said, I wanted to, you know, redo it all for him. And even when I was moving out to California from Virginia, I'm like, I want to do this before I move. And he was basically just didn't care anymore. <laughs> I think he was just over it. You know, he didn't want to get tattooed anymore. So here's another question, though, in the same vein, which is, are you an artist first and then a tattoo artist? Or do yeah. you become a tattoo artist and then the art skills develop as yeah. you go? Well, back in the old days, there were people that were definitely way more technicians. And like the guy that J.C. Fly that I worked for out on Long Island, he would call himself a pattern artist, meaning he would only work from pre-existing patterns. And back then, a lot of people were like that. And, uh, but personally, I, when I was a little kid, just, it was kind of funny, just two days ago, my kid found this drawing that I did when I was just a hair older than him. I was five or six. And he's like, who did this daddy? And I told him I did. And I redrew it for him. He's like, can you draw it again? And it was funny. I thought, man, it was better when I was six, That's but it had more energy or whatever. You know, it's tough when you're trying to copy something at takes the spontaneity so you always had it. it in you. yeah but i personally did and frankly part of the reason i wanted to tattoo like i i'd like painting and all that but man you can spend endless hours on a painting and there's a pretty good chance you're never gonna sell it yeah where i thought man if i'm tattooing this thing's sold before i'm done they're stuck so, with it <laughs> yeah and and you know and with a painting you can go over it again and again and be like oh man i gotta do this i gotta do that and for better or worse a tattoo's done a tattoo is done you right. know and now you t see people that oh first pass second pass whatever to do a portrait or whatever it is where i didn't learn how to tattoo how it takes 10 sittings to do one tattoo Damn. unless it's a big tattoo it's like you know i'm doing a portrait it's going to be done when i'm done and honestly a lot of times you'd like to work on something again if and, and if i'm tattooing the person again i'll if i feel like something needs touched up i'll do it but yeah i was an artist first and like and that was something that patty and i offered even though we were straight out art school we went to work for this guy and patty had been tattooing maybe six months but i helped her so she had some direction and she picked it right up and she also didn't have the kind of disadvantage that I did that I thought a tattoo ought to look this way you know it ought to look like tattoos look traditionally and everything and immediately Patty was like well why would you draw a rose like that that doesn't even look like a rose that right. doesn't make sense so she had the advantage that okay I know how to do a nice line I know how to do color I know how to do shading now I can do whatever I want with it where I still had that thing in my head about it ought to look like this though because it's a because it's a tattoo. tattoo yeah but anyway so yeah even in that shop because fly i loved that guy such a great person and was so helpful to me and helped us learn where to get everything and you know as far as supplies without having to go through a tattoo supplier and all that and he was such a he's deceased now bless the guy's heart but uh he uh uh, he wasn't able to give people custom work. And even back then, you know, we were straight out art school. We were ready to try to set the world on fire. And sure. this is in 84. And so we were able to offer to people something they weren't able to get in most shops. 
I'm trying to get back to where you started asking me. Because but, I was going to ask when you did transition into art school, because uh, you said you started doing these tattoos. You were doing uh, right. lucky to do one every three months. Right. You you went to art school after that. Sounds yeah, like. yeah, I, yeah. I was tattooing for a while, and I was still very interested. And I was playing in a bands, and I uh, I knew that wasn't going to go anywhere. I mean, even what when type I of started, bands were you playing in? Uh, top forty cover bands. And at that oh, time, funny. we were able to eke out a living doing it. You know, and I were. You know, it was a different time period. I was living with a girl that she was buying the house and our mortgage mortgage was 180 Jeez. a month or hers was <laughs> and uh so my share of the rent was 90 bucks so yeah you can make that work yeah we'd make honestly usually each man in the band end up with 35 40 bucks a night so if i was making 100 and a quarter 150 a week it was enough to Hell yeah. live on and then but so anyway, I went to art school because I thought I want to do something with art. And I went to uh, the Art Institute. It was real commercially oriented. It wasn't a fine art school. And that was their thing was we want you to be able to make a living doing art when you leave here. This isn't like a painting school or right. something. So <clears throat> I went there to quit doing the band thing and frankly to get away with from the girl i was with yeah, i was standard at over that, at that age <laughs> that you know and uh went there and then a friend of mine nason gig he was in a band over there called norman nardini and the tigers and nason i he was one of those guys that our parents were friends so i knew him before we were born you know kind of so nason was my main person i hung out with initially there and he knew this guy red that he knew from red was uh real into music so he knew him through seeing him in clubs and stuff and so he said oh why don't you contact red about tattooing so that's how that all transpired and red he was a crazy motherfucker to put it bluntly <laughs> but in a, a good way but he was already real involved with it all and again this is in well i met red in 82 or 83 and uh he had already been to tattoo conventions and all that and he had these big photo albums of work by ed hardy bob roberts and jack rudy was in there and they to me were the big three way back then and still are and my head and when i saw this stuff it was like whoa you can do that with tattooing and it really opened up my world to That's it awesome and, and red he was you know he helped me out way more than i even realized at the time because he wasn't a great artist and you know he knew how to tattoo well and everything but uh he just given me access to that and you know i was there practically every day with him and tattooed in the summer and it was like a county fair circuit is what i did with him and you know i still go into school through the summer because frankly i knew if i didn't go to school in the summer i'd never go back i didn't really like it that much because right. i was 25 when i went to school and i was anxious to work rather than go to school and then red made me realize hey maybe i could actually make a living at this thing but and red always would get a kick out of i'd be like hey can i look at those photo albums again you know yeah. and he'd just be like yeah whatever and just let me go do that while he was doing whatever he was doing at his house but yeah so red really 
helped me out by, and you know, a lot of different ways, learning not to do cocaine constantly like him. <laughs> but anyway, he, he was You quite, always need that friend. We quite, all had that friend. Yeah, he was quite the character, and he died of cancer. I was going to say, in a lot of cases, those friends aren't around anymore. Yeah, you know, and that's he, yeah, he got cancer. I'm not even oh, sure man. what kind. And I saw him about a month before, and I remember I tattooed a Christ on him with his kids' names. Oh. And he seemed good, though, and I was surprised when I heard he died a month later. And then within the last, I don't know how many years it's been now, but not too many, but through Facebook, I met his daughter and has been able to uh, get her some pictures and different oh, that's awesome. things because she didn't really know him. Anyway, I'm sorry I'm all over the place, oh, no. but it just triggers memories, I guess. Sure, you know. man. Now, here in San Diego, you know, obviously – for those of us who have been here since you know the late '80s, when you started Avalon with, with Patty, you know your name was synonymous with Patty. Right. You guys met in art school. Yeah, we met at the Art Institute, and I'm from Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. That's about a hundred miles east, and then she was from Reston, Virginia. Okay. And we both started in the fall of '82, and I remember we. I think our first date was about a week before Valentine's of 83. So, and then, you know, and we, <clears throat> our whole professional tattoo career was together until uh, we split up in 95. But even after that, we worked together a couple years before, um, and we opened Avalon 2 together, actually, but she never worked there. But it right. was, you know, and that Avalon became 2 your for home a reason. Base. Yeah. Right. And um, so when you first, when the two of you first moved to San Diego, you, you mentioned you worked at the shop where you were doing 85% military tattoos, right. not too far from the base. Right. Did that for about a year, you said? About a year and a half. Okay. And then how did you transition into Avalon? Well, we uh, knew that we wanted to do something on our own and we didn't. Really, we should have had more of a plan than we did, but we just mainly knew that. So we quit at that shop, and then we looked up and down the coast of California because that was a different time, too. The people just, uh, we ran into landlords that didn't want to rent to yeah. us and would flat out say it. A guy in San Francisco said to us, you can't pay the rent here by doing tattoos. What are you thinking? You know, and then... uh I remember a guy in L.A. It was funny because he, he was backing away from me as I was talking to him, this little old guy, you know, and he seemed all intimidated <laughs> by me. It was kind of weird. And then I remember I did a f follow-up phone call, and uh, they're like, uh, uh, we're pretty sure that's already rented, uh, uh, you know, kind of thing. But, yeah, we took a week or so and went up and down the coast and went to different places to see what might be a possibility and we kept running into that and we even tried to go up in north county which at that time there weren't any tattoo shops allowed someone was willing to fight through that because we talked to them up i think in lucadia i forget exactly which town but we would have had to pay a certain amount of money for their city council to discuss it and that didn't guarantee we Jeez. were going to get in because we were really trying not to be in San Diego for a couple reasons. We were trying to be polite about 
not opening too close to where we used to be. Right. Which now, of course, obviously nobody gives a shit about that since there's seven shops within half a mile of yeah. where I am up in North Park, which... It's amazing. You know, but... Especially when you talk about these times, because I yeah. remember them distinctly. Right. And the stigma was still so strong yeah. in the 80s. Right. It blows my right. mind when you think about it, and I hear yeah. these stories. Yeah, well, and then the place we finally got, <clears throat> the guy, he was willing to rent to us, and then here the neighbors were up in arms about it, and it was kind of funny because there was a jewelry store. I It's been so long ago, I... They've long since closed, but uh, they were trying to get a petition up against us, and then, um, which was funny because eventually one of the kids got tattooed, you know, and kid being thirty or something. But yeah, he came in, and then, uh, but yeah, he rented to us, and that that landlord was that kind of guy. It's like you're going to try to tell me what to do. That isn't going to fly, you know. So he rented to us, but I remember he had a a realtor talked to us who said, if I were you guys, I wouldn't spend much money on remodeling because you probably won't be here for long. Wow. And, you know, and we had a little, that space was probably about 500 square feet and had two stations in yep. it. And for a year, it was just Patty and I. It took a while to get off the ground, and we thought, well, we're, we don't have the military to rely on, but, you know, we at least we're working for ourselves now. And it uh, initially, it was people that had kind of been waiting for us to get open. Even they knew what we could do, and everything. And I, I always, I'm pretty sure it was Matt Reese that a lot of locals would know probably that was our first client. And I think uh, Ryan Fox was our second, and uh, Matt Olin actually helped with the construction a little bit, and Sean Flynn, who I know Sean since moved away, but they were some of our first clients that helped get the thing going. And then it was just Patty and I for, and we started with being open six days to try to get everybody we could. And then it got busy enough that we finally went to five days <laughs> so we could have some time off. And then it got to where we we're turning away five or six people a, um, a day. And then we thought, well, we better be open seven days a week. And we really, the space was so small, we had two uh, rooms to work in and a little uh, waiting area. And then the back room was a drawing area and where the sterilizer was. But so then about a year into it, we ended up, we were like, well, who are we going to hire? Because back then it isn't like it is now where there's a million people. And we knew Mike Stoby, who was tattooing out of his house. So we got called Mike and he's still with me 27 years later so you know we opened Avalon in 89 and Mike's been with us since 90 I think the late summer or fall of 90 is when Mike joined the crew and we've had a ton of people come through the shop you know since then and all that and but and then after I don't know. We were there a few years at least, maybe three or four, but it just kept growing and growing the business. So we moved a couple doors over to a space that was twice as big. So we ended up in there having five work areas. And often we'd have five of us going full tilt. I remember, man. It was was amazing. Yeah. And, And what do you attribute that... What was the shift? What was the shift that happened where it did go from military 
to it really hit the suburbs, right. if you will. Yeah, uh, I think the ability for people to get whatever they wanted to get probably had a lot to do with it because, you know, it, we all get tattoos because we think they're cool, right? But And it was like when I went to get my first one and the guy, he pulled out the sheets of designs, the, you know, the biker guy at my kitchen table and they were all like motorcycle things and just stuff I was totally uninterested in. And I remember I actually felt sort of sick to my stomach. It's like... I want to get tattooed, but I don't want to get any of this yeah. shit, you know? And and he said, well, you can get whatever you want. So here I had this uh, poster that Rick Griffin had done, and it was oh, for... I love Rick Griffin stuff. <laughs> and it, it was for Jimmy... It was a flying eyeball, which he no! appropriated from... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Von Dutch. But anyway, it was the flying eyeball and a big red background and had... Uh, Hendrix, I think it was Albert King, and I forget the third person on the bill. But anyway, I'm like, that's what I'm going to get because to me that means sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So <laughs> that's what I'm going to get. So that's one of my favorite images: the <laughs> oh, flying yeah, eyeball. Yeah. You know and they, one, yeah, right? they incorporated it into skate culture too. Oh, the right, flying right. eyeball on a skateboard and right. the whole bit yeah. with Rick stuff. Yeah. Oh man! So that's what I and the guys like. Oh, you can get. You know, I can do if you can, and he said, if you can make the stencil. So I actually made my own acetate stencil back then. But anyway, back to the you know, the point there, I, I think it probably was a lot to do with that because all the guys that wanted to get tattooed and women too, they wanted something they wanted to get. They didn't want to get the, you know, the panther or the rose or the whatever, you know, that were the always the standards and this is kind of almost what you have to get right but don't you think there was something culturally that was happening also where the stigma of the only people who got tattoos were you know harley dudes right. and uh and military and then it became the red hot chili peppers right. and their tribal p pe- i see i see that uh, whole yeah, well, and maybe somebody else had told me way back when, and I, I forget who, cause, but I think somebody in a local band was talking about when they were traveling, they noticed how everywhere was kind of the same more, and it might have even been like MTV, like you're saying it, when people started seeing that stuff, and you mentioned the uh, bands and all that, and I remember I found out the Allman Brothers were my favorite band ever way back when. And, uh, oh, they got a mushroom from Lyle Tuttle. I got to get a mushroom from Lyle Tuttle. So it might have been that. It's hard to, it's probably different things. Yeah, but it's different for like each a, group or every yeah, individual. Yeah, but it probably was a cultural shift where it's like, oh, these band guys are getting them and it's cool. And it, you know, it can be a, a cool image like they're getting. And whoever... It is like, and I never did get a mushroom or anything, but that was definitely a thought. But you have that where people get something because somebody they admire has it, whether they're a uh, musician or whoever. And after Tupac died, we kept we were getting a run on this cross, and I was really not familiar with him or anything. And finally, we realized, oh, this is Connected the cross that. that Tupac had on his back. And everybody wants it, so then it became the Tupac cross, or yeah. that's what we would call it. And you know, you, had and you the would Pamela see the Pamela Anderson barbed wire. Yep. You had the uh, the Anthony Kiedis Chili Peppers tribal prince. Right. Right. The Tupac cross. 
I think Guns N' Roses probably inspired oh, a lot of Guns yeah. N' Roses tattoos yeah, right, back uh -huh. in the 80s. Yeah. Trying to yeah. think what. And now I just look at the whole hipster sleeve movement where, oh, right. you know, I look at Stoby, who you mentioned. He's had sleeves for 30 years. But within the last 10 years, right. it, it's it's almost an accessory that you need yeah, to work right. in certain <laughs> industries. Right. Well, yeah, in our neighborhood there in North Park, it's funny because I think it probably has something to do with where you are and all that. But, yeah, that we were sitting at a block away from our shop having breakfast one day, and we were all talking about how, how there's somebody walking by with sleeves. And it's like years ago we knew they were going to the shop. Right. But otherwise – you know, you wouldn't see that where now it's like half the people coming in to have breakfast are slaved out. And one day I looked out the window and I, we're right there at the intersection at the stoplight. There's a guy in the, his car, slaved out, a guy walking down the sidewalk, slaved out, the yep. guy in the next car, slaved out. It's like, holy shit. You know, it is really, it's such a common thing. Cause I remember when I first got mine done and I was at the, uh, Home Depot with Patty, and she's like, and you know, this other guy and I that he was slaved out were kind of checking each other out, yeah. and it's like, oh, you guys are in the sleeve club together, and even that I remember seeing again. So I was in the supermarket ready to check out, and some woman's kind of wandering around, saw me, and like kind of hid behind yeah, her man. husband, and it, that kind of thing is so funny because you mentioned about. Uh, well, like read way long ago, and I guess I've I got my stuff done over twenty years ago. As I've you know been sleeved out since probably the early to mid nineties, something like that. And I kind of put it off for a while. I just wasn't ready to do it. And I'd get shit from other tattooists like you're tattooing all the time and you don't have your lower arms done and blah blah blah. But I just wasn't ready to do it. But anyway, yeah, it's funny. And now it seems like with the, and it's been a while since they came out because the TV shows seem to actually pump up business for a while. But right. now I think it's had the ad adverse effect because everybody and their brother feels the need to open a tattoo shop. So when we still had only 200 tattoo shops in town, it really helped our biz business. But now there's 400. It's Jeez. like cutting the pie till we're all eating crumbs. But, and I think that influenced that. And as far as the intimidation factor, there isn't much of that left in a shop. You know, it's like people come in and they think they're at Nordstrom's or something. And, and they can call all the shops. Yeah, yeah. And it's, man, the it's, entitled customers. Yeah. And it's, you know, of course, I'm, I feel fortunate because being around forever and people, if they're coming to me, they're generally coming to me because they've heard of me right. and all that. So I have that advantage because, of course, I still have times when, you know, I, I have a big crew and everyone does great work. So generally, I'm trying to give them the work that walks in. But sometimes I end up with a walk in. So then I'm back to. It's almost like I feel like I'm back to square one where yeah. they're, you know. Now, That's all of us in life, yeah, man. So you're a lot of yeah, us in and life. It puts everything in perspective, though, and it makes me feel like, wow, I am really fortunate that generally I don't have to, you know, go through the whole thing, and it's not the person's purse tattoo and all that. Because, man, when we were. You know, mid '90s, early to mid '90s, down in PB, when it was crazy, it was like on every Saturday we'd have a line of people could, out the I door know. and all that. And then the 
you know, and I, I thank you all in San Diego that supported us for the last nearly 30 years and everything. But man, some days it would really drain your energy because everybody was like, is it going to hurt? And, you know, just everything about it, the tension from the person and everything, it's kind of hard to deal with that all day long where you're dealing with people that they're in a real stress situation and it's hard not to pick up on that. So some days at the end of the day when you've tattooed tapped. 10 people, yeah, you're like, whoa, worn out. And now, you know, I like today I have two clients and I'm working on a sleeve on a guy and uh, working on a sleeve on another guy that I've been tattooing for 25 years. But, it, you know, it's relaxing and all that for me, generally speaking. And, you know, there isn't the first timer thing. And even now, like I mentioned occasionally, I still do first timers and walk-ins that I have no idea that I've been around for third. Well, they must know by my age, I must've been around for a while, but anyway, <laughs> they don't know the history of, <laughs> yeah. So, and it's, that's fine. Again, it puts it into perspective that I'm fortunate to have that. But, you know, if I have to deal with a, a group of people that come in together and they're all, they're all getting their first one and all anxiety roses. ridden right. and, or whatever. Yeah. And so, and it now, uh, yeah. So there's that. And then I just, that made me think about people complain about the whole Pinterest thing and all that. Now the people bring things in, but it's like all that imagery that you repeat again and again, that's always been like that. Now it's, to me, it's almost more convenient. They already did their shopping. They don't have to come in and stare so at the So you get wall. a lot of that. What you're yeah. saying is you've seen yeah. a shift now where people are finding images off of Pinterest or yeah. other people's work and bring yeah. it into the shop. Yeah, because, yeah, and people complain about that. But in the past, it was like you would repeat. So, but yeah, because I see nothing wrong with that at all. It's funny when on like Facebook or Instagram, you see people complaining. In a way, it just makes a job easier. And it's, that's what they want. And often, and it, it probably means more to them than some weird thing I have tattooed on me that right. I thought, oh, that's a cool picture where when people are like, oh, this means this and that. And sometimes, you know, you, I might even think, oh, that's kind of corny, but I shouldn't be thinking that because it's important to them. And back in the day when I'd be doing 10 little things all day, it's like, well, that's as important to them as anything I'm getting, that's for sure. So you have to treat people and the imagery they're getting with respect because it is important to them or they wouldn't be getting and it's it. it's going to be with them for a while too yeah and sometimes <laughs> too it's like the point is you're getting tattooed you know it's a cool thing to do you're and sometimes i'm doing it with my friends or you know in the military situation those guys would come in in a group and sometimes get the same thing and you know you talk about you know it's uh, a bonding thing for guys like that, of course, too, that are going to be, oh, in it, yeah. you know, and with people in general. But I guess the my point being that an image isn't just about the image. There's all this other stuff that's and part of it, you know. Well, the psychology specifically, and that's what I think is really cool that you're able to tap into it and put yourself yeah. in and you go through that emotional process with people as exhausting as it is. It is kind of refreshing to hear as somebody right. who has been that person getting his first tattoo in that chair, tripping balls, freaking out. Uh -huh. That's fascinating because yeah. I'm just putting it all together. Oh, uh -huh. And it's a really interesting thing. Now, 
One of the things I did want to ask you is, and I'm just curious, tattooing women and they're getting all this art done in very precarious areas and positions. How do you put up that wall? You're concentrating on the artwork you're doing and where it is is not really that uh, relevant. And of course, you know, sometimes you're like, well, this girl's gorgeous or whatever, but still you're, you're just doing your service and, uh, you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable oh, obviously. <laughs> by, and I, and I've had a couple guys work for me that one I'm thinking in particular, and I've seen this guy go through so many shops and he was terrible that way. It seemed like one day I saw him take four hours to do a two hour job on this girl. And I know it was because he was hitting on her and everything. And he was out of there pretty soon thereafter because it's just so totally unprofessional. You don't want someone to feel like, Oh, I go to that shop and I can expect this. And that's a bad thing too. One guy, they don't say so-and-so over at Avalon too is like this. It would be at that shop, blah, 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 you know? So I, yeah, I want, I don't do that kind of thing. I won't tolerate it. It's, you know, so. And but, on the flip side, what about guys who are right? getting well, weird things tattooed? It, it's the same are... difference too. It is like, well, it's a tattoo because that's somebody of mine. I did his whole back and he got his butt cheeks done and down to his, almost the back of his knees. And he's like, oh, thanks for tattooing my ass. I'm like, what I care? It's just skin, you know, I'm just putting it on you. And you're, you're so focused on the image that you're not really, if anything, frankly, it's like the technical difficulty of some areas. You're more like, oh, damn, they want it there, you know. And They want the scrotum. And, yeah, well, <laughs> then I send them to Mike Stobie, but no, not really. Actually, Mike Martin, but any, at another shop, he doesn't care. That is something that, honestly, nobody even asks you no, for anyway. But, but, yeah, it is all – it's – it does come down to how technically difficult is it going to be. And then we have chairs that go up and down and flat and all this because through the years you learn the easiest way to position someone to tattoo them because you want it so, you know, technically it's as easy as possible to do. And as far as women, really, uh, I see in the progression of that, whenever I first started, you know, way back when, the late 70s, early 80s, girls would tend to get them where they wouldn't show, you know. Exactly. They'd get them somewhere private, and then it seemed like it moved to ankle and shoulder. The lower uh, back. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, that's actually an easy place to tattoo if you have someone leaning over so that it tightens the skin. But then that movie that which one was it uh wedding crashers what was it tramp stamp they used the term tramp stamp and that overnight killed that phenomenon because no girl wants to be a tramp so they ended up you know that kind of killed that frankly bastards and uh yeah i i i never had a problem with them which is what's funny but you're right though you're absolutely right another example of how culture dictates trends and tattooing yeah because yeah it really seemed like overnight and i was kind of like oh damn it really because i was having fun doing those they're so easy (laughs) yeah i thought that and i always thought they looked nice there and everything but uh yeah i was trying to 
Oh, jeez, now I lost my train of thought. About women getting their tattoos. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, sorry. But now, uh, you know, now you see as many women sleeved out and stuff as men, and they I just know. tend to get them wherever, you know, and that kind of thing. And then somebody, speaking of the tramp stamp, now there's, although I have it still have yet to do one, but girls get the under boob thing now, and someone was joking around about, oh, you turn the tramp stamp design upside down and you're good to go. <laughs> and it's practically true. And they showed some That's design. Funny. It's like, where it looked the same. Yeah. That's hysterical. Yeah. yeah. But so that, you know, you do see trends, but the trend to go way more public with tattoos for women and even the see i support it i love it yeah yeah and my wife's just we're almost done with her sleeves now and i think it looks great on her and she's a gorgeous woman and you know it looks real nice on her but uh yeah you just see that trends change where yeah. now people want them more visible and people are all about doing their hands and neck and everything too which you know, I still don't have any of that stuff of my generation. You might do that if you ran out of space elsewhere, but I don't know. I is being in the business forever and being as old as I am and everything. I still kind of like being able to put a shirt on if I want to and make them all disappear, depending on the situation. You know, and on occasion you may feel like, oh yeah, it's way more acceptable and all that, but you still have people that you still feel it. Yeah, on occasion, really? and usually more like interest, I would say, than this guy's a scumbag. But I, you know, now it's been years ago. I remember once being in a bank, and I felt like people were looking at me like they're waiting for me to hold. The yeah, join I can up. believe that years uh, ago. Yeah, but this probably, day and age, yeah, man, or my 15, father, 20 years ago. My father in law's in his seventies, and he's uh, got tattoos all uh, over his body. Right. So, I mean, I yeah. think you're going to deal with judgments everywhere. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think, and you've already said it, that uh, it sounds like more of your battle is how do you sustain where you're one of the originators you know one of the originators in this market of san diego and as you've said there's six shops per square block yeah, right. and how do you keep that legacy alive right. and knowing that at the end it really comes down to me heritage and having that market equity is so important and that's the story i think you need to keep telling because i do think you're a treasure in our community and anytime people reference tattoos your name always comes up patty's name always comes up there's something to be said for that obviously yeah, yeah i i feel like we we're at the right place at the right time and doing something that Nobody, I I always mention a couple of guys were at Ace Tattoo, Steve Smith, Gary Hogan, some of the other guys that were there too were always doing custom work, but they didn't focus on it like that. That was like, we can do it if someone requires it or wants it or whatever, where Patty and I, that's what we wanted to do solely. And I think we brought that to the whole scene where you know san diego was really known just to be a military town and there was a uh, as far well in general really and as far as tattooing where years ago there was a movie out called signatures of the soul and they had a thing about polynesian tattooing and about japanese tattooing and custom tattooing and San Francisco with Ed Hardy way back when. And when it came around to San Diego, they had old Doc Webb there who was 
there forever, and uh, he probably started in the 40s or something. I'm not positive. When I got here in 87, I think he died not too long after that. I'm not positive. But anyway, it was a real—it was all about the military here. And even when we moved to Pacific Beach, we thought, oh, we won't do much. But, you know, we ended up offering the right thing at the right time. As you get weird, I get weird talking about myself, but I, people have flat out said, oh, what an inspiration you were and all that, which is really nice to hear. And uh, I think that's great that I've had some kind of positive influence on it. And Patty, of 100%. course, too, she was... She's beloved in the community. Yeah, and and someone that worked for me, he was trying to explain to somebody, you don't get it. Patty was like Kat Von D before there was Kat Von D, and it was Let me just say, fuck yeah. Patty was just it, man. Yeah. You did not, from from my side of the fence, you did not screw with Patty, and you just respected Patty, and she was badass and is badass, man. Yeah, and she always... uh, She's such a good artist. She could draw whatever right out yep. of her head. Like someone would say, this is what I want. Okay. She'd sit there and do it where I'd be scrambling to find reference material and all that. And frankly, whenever we worked together, it was always all about Patty. And I was just sort of plugging away, doing my thing. And after we opened a second Avalon and everything, it seemed like then that people noticed more what I was doing when it, you know, I wasn't under that thing that, (laughs) oh, you're the other guy, you know. But Patty was a real big deal and for good reason. And there was uh, way back when, even when we just moved here, uh, practically it was 87 or 88, a guy named Shotzi Gorman. He's from Jersey and lives up in Sonoma now. But he had a a real nice magazine out called The Tattoo Advocate. And way back then he had done an article on Patty because of what she was doing and who, you know, who she is. And she always had such a vibrant personality and all that. And, you know, after we split, I ended up having to talk more and stuff. You know, (laughs) Uh, I always, even we'd go to conventions years ago, she'd be up all night party and I'd be in a room watching TV, you know, and, (laughs) and until I'd, you know, we had split up and I realized like, man, I guess that, that, she was always doing all that while I'm just like working. Yeah. So, uh, and you eventually obviously got rid of the PB shop. Patty did. Well, what happened unfortunately was uh, now it's been six or seven years ago and Patty had a stroke. So she still hasn't regained use of her right leg and her right arm and hand kind of work. So she couldn't tattoo anymore. The rent went sky high. Just everything kept adding up in the negative side where just it finally got to the point that it didn't make sense to keep it open. So I, she closed it. The lease ran out the, I think it was the end of uh, December in 2016. So, oh, man. Yeah, which was... That re- soon or that recent. Yeah, because it's a real... Uh, in a way, it's amazing she kept it open yeah. that long after her stroke, but... It's a real shame that, you know, we, nobody was there before us at all. You know, now it's like Tattoo Central because of us. Of course. And then here, unfortunately, Patty's health issues are really what, yeah, because, 
you know, people think, oh, you have a shop, you don't have to work and all that. No, it's really not like that because, you know, where I am, if I didn't work, it probably wouldn't be worth it for me to keep the place open. I probably wouldn't be generating enough income to bother with it. And that's really what it came down for Patty. Yeah, where it's part if of she, the business model and has been since day one. Yeah, and if she was able to continue working, you know, although she probably should have or would need to have relocated anyway, the guy, the yeah, I don't even want to get into that story. But, yeah, the rent was like, yeah, just went crazy high welcome to san diego yeah right and and down there when we opened up we we really weren't familiar with pb and it was a sleepy little beach town in 89 and it was funny there was a t-shirt shop next to us and the guy ended up he said oh i i'm only doing wholesale now because i sell so little i have more stuff shoplifted out of this place than i sell and you know and that jewelry store went out of business i mentioned yeah and we were one of the businesses that kept we were always doing okay and that the uh you know we'd see all these other places change businesses and i think that encouraged landlords to rent the tattoo shop so you know it's like a someone even said to me oh it's your fault that this happened down here with all this stuff well what am i supposed to do not open my business i mean that statement didn't even make sense everything's changed needless to say but you've got the solid operation over here in normal heights north park where you've been forever and a day now or at least 20 years that way yeah we just celebrated 20 years which is amazing and then as far as patty's concerned you know definitely keep us and please me abreast to her situation and if we can ever help out in any way we'd love to man and i mean that right well we do hope to i talked to patty about it and it's hard for her to do much anything so i'm gonna have to be the main guy to help with it but we are talking about doing a book about uh, avalon and its history i think that's a tremendous and so she has uh she's saved everything through the years i didn't really do that much, which now I wish I would have since I have a five-year-old boy. And, you know, he's so little, although he's very interested in art already, so I'm pretty stoked on That's that. awesome. So, you know, whenever I'm 70 and he's 15, I think it would be <laughs> cool for him to know who his dad was. So uh, The but, legacy. It's all about protecting that legacy. Yeah, yeah and you don't think about that because I always thought, oh, who gives a shit this is about today but whenever you have a child then you you, you know and that I'll, I'll ramble on about that forever if i get into it but you know having a, a child at age 55 it has changed my life drastically where your whole focus is so different because that little guy is the most important thing in the yep. world to me now i get and it, any man. parent would know any parent about. would know that. If you're man. not a parent, you don't know. So don't tell me you know. It's true. <laughs> don't and don't 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 say I have a dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you, you, pe- you picked dog. up on my thought on I that. I know one. how it goes, man. And it's, it's even yeah. when it's come to my decisions in life or actions I've made, and I look at my friends who are judging me or critical right. of me, and I'm like, dude, you don't have friggin' two kids. Right. Unle- until you have kids. Right. 
the judgments have to stop because you don't know. And especially about how you're raising your kid or what you're doing. How the hell do they know? Because my wife had put it real briefly and perfectly that she said, there's two kinds of people in this world, ones with children and ones without. (laughs) And that's about it because until you have it, and I, yeah, I remember saying things to friends like, oh, let's go to lunch, but I have my kid it's like well what do you just bring them you don't understand oh yeah i do and no i did not no so (laughs) it's true i appreciate your time fit i think you're still doing awesome stuff in the community and uh, we hope to even help amplify that here with this podcast and maybe other Mm -hmm. things we do down the line but okay thank you for your time man thank you there you go fit buchanan of avalon 2 adams avenue here in san diego and uh, thank you to FIP. Look forward to doing stuff with FIP down the line and uh, swinging by a shop, doing some videos, the whole bit. And hello to Mike Stoby over at Avalon 2, who's been my personal tattoo artist since day one. I love you and your work, Mike. All right. Thank you. Check out the U Store. If you want to support ustore.com, Y-E-W-Store.com, pick up a hat, a t-shirt, and right now with every order, we'll hook you up with a free pin, these awesome U pins. Again, it's ustore.com. Until next time, be well and much aloha.